Melanie is a total show-off. She thinks she's so brave, and she's always making Danielle and her friends look like wimps. But now, Danielle's decided she's had enough. She's going to scare Melanie once and for all, and she's come up with a perfect plan. She's going to lure Melanie down to Muddy Creek, because she knows Melanie believes in that silly rumor about the monsters. Mud monsters that live in the creek. Too bad Danielle doesn't believe the rumor, because it might just be true. Listener beware. You're in for a scare. to another episode of Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. Just so you know, that intro was a blurb from the Goosebumps book, You Can't Scare Me. Anyway, I'm your American hostess, Melanie Monster Blood Skip, and with me is my slappy happy best friend from across the creature-infested pond, Danielle. Good morrow, m'lady. Ah, uh, slappy happy. You oh, had to yeah. mention the character I hate the most. I Well, I didn't know that, but I thought it was so good. Yeah, it's fine. I was really proud of that, actually. It's pretty It's pretty good. It made me <laughs> smile and cringe. That's perfect. Yes! <laughs> perfect. <laughs> How you doing, my lady? I am fine and dandy, thank you very much. I can hear that my cat Peggy is making a bit of a fuss in the background, so if you're picking up uh, meows, just know that she's fine. She's just a drama queen. <laughs> what about you? I'm good. I'm waking up. I'm sleepy. I don't have a cat in here right now, which is great. No one's going to be clawing at me as as he usually does. Oh, my anyway, cat's always somewhere lurking. In the shadows like monsters. So, yeah, we, we got a good, fun, silly, ridiculous topic this week. But before we get into it, do we got any updates? Uh... Oh. What happened? I just heard, as you were going, uh, I heard, duh, no. <laughs> that was me getting a notification on my um, laptop. Well, it took it from being silly to, like, ominous. It was really oh, good. Cool. We'll leave that in. Um, <laughs> I Only update I've got is that I shouldn't... No, I don't really... I don't have an update. Um, I was going to ask you if you wanted to tell people about what you've been up to to try to fluff up the episodes. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, basically I'm I'm trying to do little mini sods in between because like we mentioned before, we're going to be doing our full episodes pretty much just every other week. And the last one I did uh, should be coming out soon, but will probably have already come out for you was my little mini sod uh, sort of going a little bit further into the uh, four, four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Wow, that was a really hard for me to word. 
Did it not come out on Saturday? I thought it did come out on Saturday. Did it? I didn't check it. Did I not do it? Did it? I don't think I did it. I'm an ass. It's all good. I completely forgot. Update. Danielle completely forgot to add the theme music. (laughs) (laughs) And upload Melanie's mini-sode on Saturday. I will do that as soon as we're done recording. Yeah, so by the time you hear this, it'll already have happened. But this is something that we'll be trying to do just to sort of keep you guys happy. But I did, I got, I got rip roaring drunk with my sister last week. Um, and we recorded some little things. I don't know how awful they sound. I haven't listened to them yet. Um, but if you want to hear me and my my little sister get real drunk and talk about uh, ghosts and horror movies and things of that nature, let me know. And I will go through and edit them and put them out. But I'm, I'm hesitant to do it until I hear that there's interest in it. <laughs> <laughs> it would be quite amusing. And we'd have to come up with like um, a spin-off name. Yeah. Like, um, for them, like, um, I don't know, like Zombie Fishbowl Jr. or something. I don't know. We'll have to come up with like a spin-off name. Oh my god, like Nick Jr. That's awesome. Nick Jr. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. Oh, uh, we were so drunk. <laughs> we were wasted. It was awesome. <laughs> There's um, definitely something there with the alcohol and the fishbowl because the fish, the alcohol fishbowls, like you can buy fishbowls. Like, yeah, there's as an there's alcoholic a, beverage. Yeah, a mixed drink called the zombie fishbowl. We should have yeah. gotten those. I gotta try one of those just for science, you know. Well, have you ever had a zombie? Probably, maybe. It's just a giant zombie. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I've had a zombie. I probably oh, did, but I... somebody gave it to me when I was already so wasted, so it was just like yeah, alcohol. I'm fairly sure it's um a citrusy, like lemonadey type drink, but yeah, yeah. Sounds good to me. Have a look it up. Anyway, that's I don't have any updates because um I you you yeah. just been working your ass off for school and stuff. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <hun. laughs> so um, do we want exercising? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so do you want to go on to the thing? Sure. All right. Do you want to start? Sure. Do it. Well, kind of. I mean, it's to do with my exercising. I, well, I've been trying to fit in like three or four walks a day so that I can do 12,000 steps, which is about six and a half miles. I've only achieved it once in seven days, which is actually pretty good considering I went from pretty much sedentary. I've been achieving around six to 8,000 steps a day. Hey, that's an accomplishment. I think so. Um, while I'm trying to write shit and go to uni and stuff like that. But the thing yeah. that I really wanted to talk about in the thing is um, the last weekend I was a guest at an event. Yeah. And yeah. So I had to sort of be, hmm, I had to, I sat on a panel and I was like asked questions and it was a room full of like really intelligent intellectual people and really creative people and really cool people. And um, basically the, the long story short is that I had to spend quite a bit of time afterwards receiving compliments. <laughs> Which for the record is not something Danielle does well. No, I think that a lot of people with 
um, anxiety and depression and a lot of people with low self-esteem and a lot of people like me like really do not know how to take a compliment and it's really really difficult in fact sometimes I think it might be more difficult than an insult yeah because, because you expect an insult yeah an insult you can kind of get angry about and just sort of like throw it back at them but a compliment is something you actually have to like actively um react to and accept at the same time so it's, it's yeah. really really difficult so I spent a bit of time trying to work out how the hell to graciously modestly accept a compliment at the same time as trying to convince myself that these are true things happening to me yeah um so I got a lot of really really nice compliments and I got a lot of uh, positive feedback basically yeah. and it was very hard for me to try to remedy that with my internal monologue that tells me that I fuck everything up and that I'm a piece of shit no one wants to listen to a word I said but the sort of uh, um, subsequent evidence of everything after my involvement in this event has been nothing but positive and people have fed back to me not just that night but the next day two days later three days later the me you know on social media and things like that people are following me on twitter and instagram that were at the event people have put up uh posts for themselves that mention me and i just think all evidence points to success yeah and very hard to remedy that with an internal um bully that tells you that you are a fuck up and an imposter well your your internal bully is is obviously an idiot so yeah yeah exactly thank you so that's what i just wanted to kind of bring a little bit to our listeners is that it is important and incredibly fucking difficult to accept a compliment and that we should learn how to do that pretty much not like in school like they should teach us how to accept a compliment in school i just think that it should be something that we um address for people that have i don't know i don't know what i'm thinking but it's a good (laughs) it's a good um message to just say learn how to take a compliment and not throw it back in people's faces basically yeah yeah yeah. so when someone says oh wow that was really good don't turn around and go no i'm shit like that's rude don't do that Mm -hmm. Say, oh, thank you very much. That's very nice of you. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, it was, it's been a really nice experience. Thank you for, for saying that. You you have to be polite and gracious. And then later you have to let your brain go, what the fuck was all that? You have to just <laughs> wait till later yeah. when you're drinking. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm happy. I'm happy that went well. I'm happy you're getting the good feedback and, and yay good Thanks. things happening and the exercising and all good things happening yeah 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 i've kind of um no i'm not going to go into negative space now no staying positive okay. stay positive staying positive so for me honestly i'm not gonna lie i kind of miss the purge because i feel like expelling the frustrations is a little bit more of a effective breath yeah no uh, do it but I, but I also want to do the thing. So I'm doing a little bit of both today. And it's not, not a huge thing. It was, It's basically going back to me and my sister and our, our uh, night of drinking. 
it was so much fun. We celebrated my birthday. We did karaoke. Um, I did Diamond Zara Girl's Best Friend because that's my go-to karaoke song. And people were just like, oh, my God, you're amazing. It was super fun because it was like this really slummy dive bar type place where, you know, there's the gr- drunken girls just kind of screaming into the microphone. And they were just all night drunken okay. girls screaming into a microphone. Um, oh, it, was, it was a hoot. But I think I had like 14 drinks. Holy shit. <laughs> and usually I don't get hangovers. Okay. I handle my liquor really well, but I also, for the most part, only drink hard liquor. Right. I don't, I don't do beers very often. I don't do ciders very often. I really, if I, if I'm going and which I only drink like maybe once a month, every other two, every other month, because I really don't do it often. But if I do it, I go hard. Like, I go real hard. Every time I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons, I put away at least half a handle of scotch. It's just how I do. But the night with my sister started off with a cider and then a mixed drink and then like two or three beers and then a couple other mixed drinks. And then no, it was like two beers and then a couple other mixed drinks and then a couple more beers and then two. Uh, oh, she, she, she showed me what. Or she had me taste an aperitif, which I've never had before. She had me sample three aperitifs. Okay, I don't even think I know what that is. Apparently, it's a kind of very sweet liquor that's good for sort of like an appetizer before you have a meal. So you don't like chug it. You just have a small amount and it just kind of like helps you digest the food to come or something like that. Oh, yeah, there's German things. Yeah, they usually got aniseed in them. Yeah. Yeah, and they yeah, were they were lovely, but she had me sample a couple of those, and um and then we had, uh what's the vodka and orange orange juice? Mimosa. Mim- no, that's champagne and orange juice. Screwdrivers. Screwdrivers. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and then we had a couple of screwdrivers, and we like wrapped up our drinking at about three in the morning. It was we went hard, and it was yeah, it was that's super a lot of fun. mixing and very stupid. It was very stupid, but did you um, have wine as well? No, I don't do wine. Good, because that's the thing that you should never, never, never mix in. If you're going all over the place with your drinks, if you add wine to it, you're gonna, you're just gonna die. Yeah. There was a lot of the drinks that I had, like the aperitifs, and and there was one that had, uh... oh, I can't, but it was a very kind of cognac-y type sweet liquors, and and that with the beer, yeah, it just totally fucked my stomach. So <laughs> the day after, I had the first real hangover that lasted until you know six at night the next night oh my god just like uh and i had to work the whole time i'm all please somebody come in and cover me please somebody come in and cover me nobody could i'm all okay i'm doing this this is what i'm doing (laughs) oh man so my thing is that I got to have that great night with my sister. We bonded, we talked, we had so much fun. And then my my purge is just like, fuck hangovers, man. Jesus. <laughs> that was brutal. <laughs> well, I mean, you've only got yourself to blame, really. Oh, 100%. 100%. I kind of, because because I so rarely drink beer, I kind of forgot that mixing those things together, not great idea yeah no no yeah but i've relearned something that most kids learn by like 22 years old but i I relearned something and and that was fun (laughs) it still hasn't changed if anything it's got worse 
Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna stick to my hard liquor. Is my is my takeaway from this. <laughs> or just do like just beer, which again I so rarely do. Beer is gross. Don't. Yeah, it's it's just not my favorite thing. She she got me some lovely beers because we were in Ohio and it was so fancy. It was Hold nice. on, there might be a cultural thing here. Beer, as I would refer to it as, even in the U.S. when I lived there, beer would be what we call lager over here. So I'm doing a yeah. little bit of definitions. She does not mean ale because ale is the elixir of gods. What she means is beer, like lager in a bottle. Mm-hmm. It's gross. It's gross. <laughs> even here it's gross. And all you people that drink it, you know it's gross. It tastes like piss. It's gross. Don't write in. You will not convince me. <laughs> but ale, ale is where it's at. Ale is good. Ale no, is I think I had a few ales. Because yeah, I usually will go for an ale, uh, like a pale ale. Right. It's not the same as beer. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. These these were fancy beers. Although at the uh, karaoke place, because it was like a dive place, that was we were drinking like Coors or something. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Not great. But after so many drinks, I didn't even notice. I was like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we get that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'm still sort of like recovering, and this was like a week ago. <laughs> I can tell that's why I sort of ushered it along because it looked like you were about to start again. <laughs> All right, yeah. So that's that's my thing and my purge. And as we take our deep breath, deep breath, as we take our deep breath in, we will take in all the positivity of those experiences and purge out the anxiety, the fear, and the lesson of never mixing one's alcohol again. Yeah, and the fact that I miss sugar like a motherfucker. I know. I'm sorry, baby. Okay. okay. All right. One. Two, three. Oh. oh, I felt the bottom of my lungs. Yeah, my, my ribs separated. That was kind of nice. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the topic for the day, goosebumps. Do, I would do, honestly... Do, do, do. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I would honestly be shocked if anyone listening to the show has never heard of Goosebumps. Goosebumps, for those of you who have never been children, was originally a series of young adult books written by R.L. Stein in the 1990s. Of the Goosebumps books, there were 62 in total, and this doesn't include the 42 Give Yourself Goosebumps or Choose Your Own Adventure type books he wrote, or the collections of short stories, or the spin-off series that he's put out since the movies. Originally published in 1992 and going well into the modern day, we've got three Slappy World Goosebumps coming up this year. These books all involve children roughly between the ages of 10 to 15, encountering all kinds of crazy crap from lawn gnomes that attack the neighborhood to a camera that can take pictures showing how you're going to die or get injured. So easily over a hundred Goosebumps books. Then there's the Fear Street, Ghosts of Fear Street, and Return to Fear Street sagas, which come to about 150 titles. This man wrote a lot. He himself puts his total of books he's written to uh, over 330. Also, side note, <clears throat> science, because I could. Goosebumps, or piloerections, occur when a tiny muscle located at the base of each hair follicle contracts, causing the hair to stand on end, usually in response to cold, fear, arousal, anxiety, or shock. 
Scientists say that this response in hairy animals helps to insulate a beast when they are cold, and that in response to fear, anger, or shock, by causing the hair to stand on end, it makes the animal look bigger or more threatening, i.e. cats and dogs fluffing up for a fight. But since humans, as a rule, aren't covered in hair, goosebumps serve no purpose other than to maybe let us know that we might be cold, inspired, frightened, or anxious, which we are already probably pretty aware of. <laughs> yeah, goosebumps are one of those things that they don't quite know what their function is. It just yeah. sort of happens. Yeah. Same thing with your fingers puckering in the water. There's no real good reason for that. No, but I've read a book by uh, a lady that I'm struggling to think of her name now that she's she wrote a book called the the aquatic ape and it's a theory that at some point in our evolution we spent a lot of time in the water and that's why we ended up hairless and all these things she explains in her theory like um, the wrinkly fingers and all that sort of stuff and like yeah supposedly it's to help us grip better in the water i mean yeah, maybe. I, I just don't see that that's really a thing. It's, just not, <laughs> it's an it's interesting not book, though. <laughs> I, I do own it because it is quite interesting uh, nice. to think about. And I like a little bit of um, controversial science. Well, I like the theory that we are the Atlanteans or something. <laughs> you know, we come from the underwater civilization. That's why we're hairless and pucker our fingers. You know, total fringe theory, but hilarious nonetheless. Wow, that one sounds absolutely mental. Yeah, any more mental than aliens having dropped us off as, uh, you know, a way to colonize a planet or, you know, I like that theory too. Again, total, totally ridiculous, but a hoot. And I like a hoot. Yeah, but I like this theory because it's rooted in evolutionary science. <laughs> But I brought it up to our um, anthropology sort of dude in my department, and he was like, like I don't know, the, um, the most hysterical reaction I've ever seen. He goes, no, you haven't been reading that book, have you? I was like, nice. <laughs> so. It's kind of like the response when I tell people that I watch Fox News. Like, oh, what? what? Why? 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 I'm, I just want to see what they're saying. It's not that I'm taking them seriously or like them in any way. I'm yelling at them the whole time. But I do it so that if somebody says, yeah, but did you see this segment? I'm all, yes, I did, actually. And it shuts them right the fuck up. Mm. What, you actually watched it? Yes, I did, asshole. And let me tell you my perspective on it. But I don't say asshole because I'm all about, you know, meeting of minds. <laughs> Sometimes. Right, back to Goosebumps. Yeah, back to Goosebumps. Hey, how you doing? Goosebumps to Evolution? To yeah. Fox News? What the frick? This is how we do. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's all right. I've got a Star Trek reference later, so we'll just... <laughs> nice. Yeah, that was going to be my uh, my thing, was a conversation, a couple conversations I had yesterday about Star Trek versus Star Wars, but I'm going to save that for another day. Yeah, we've yeah. got sci-fi as a topic three times on our list. Yeah, I want to do an episode kind of just about Star Star Wars versus Star Trek. Okay. I have so much to say. I just wonder wh- why it has to be one or the other. No, and that's 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 the whole thing. Although I am very definitely a Star Trek versus I mean, uh, instead of Star Wars. But... Yeah. <laughs> but I want to have that conversation, and we should bring in a big a guest that's like a diehard Star Wars fan. I don't know any. I do. We okay. can like, yell at each other lovingly. It'll be good. Okay. Anyway, 
So I figured since we're going to be doing Goosebumps, I might give a little bit of the history of young adult fiction. Go for it. Yeah? Yes. All right. So um, little little aside here. Um, all of my notes I took yesterday, last night, late, in kind of a Vicodin stupor. Danielle's already knows this because I, my hip has been out of its socket for about two and a half, almost three days. So I was in a little bit of a Vicodin stupor because I was in pain. Not for any fun reasons. So my notes, I've revised them a bit, but I'm sure there's a whole bunch of like really interesting, cool data missing. This is just what I've gleaned from reading a whole bunch of stuff. Okay? Mm, data. Sort of sum up. Not data. All right. The history of young adult literature is tied to the history of how childhood and young adulthood has been perceived. One early writer to recognize the young adults as a distinct group was Sarah Trimmer who in 1802 described young adulthood as lasting from ages from 14 to 21. In her children's literature periodical, The Guardian of Education, Trimmer introduced the terms books for children, for those, established, uh, for those under 14, and books for young persons who are between the ages of 14 and 21, establishing terms of reference for young adult literature that still remains in use. 19th and early 20th century authors present several early works that appealed to young readers, though not necessarily written for them, such as like Lewis Carroll, Robert Louis Stevenson, Mark Twain, um, Edith Nesbitt, uh, L. Frank Baum, C.S. Lewis, the list goes on. So young adult fiction, or technically uh, young uh, books for young persons, have been around for a while, but up until the 1960s, it was pretty much children's lit. The main series is, 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 is for young teenagers were Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew from 1920s to 1930s uh, to the recent times. Uh, That's very oh. US-centric, Melanie. Oh, I'm going gonna... Secret Seven and the Famous Five in the UK. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because <laughs> I didn't have it. I just didn't have it. It's okay. All right. Uh, when were those written? 30s and 40s. Okay. Yeah. So, but I mean, like, little mystery series for, for young... 40s, 50s. Oh, sorry. <laughs> for young persons had been around for a while. Interesting thing, I guess, for the American side of the continent, of the world, whatever. Um, they were all written by ghostwriters. I, I guess I didn't know that. Yeah, it's the thing about it not being very, um, like... Isn't it because it's it was it's like kind of how people used to view sci-fi? It's like, mm, you don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't be a respectable writer if you're writing Nancy Drew or Hardy yeah. or something like that. Yeah, that's what, that's what I kind of figured. But it was just kind of like, oh, wow, they, there was there was shame associated with writing these books. Yeah. <laughs> but these books were not edgy. They were fairly wholesome, aside from the racism, which they edited out in the 1950s. They were kind of the first series to tackle an audience of teenagers with easy-ish reading and the express intention of a teen to early adult audience. But then something crazy happened in the 1950s. Lord of the Flies by William Golding and Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger became extremely popular among teenagers for their elements of alienation and angst, which Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, and I'm sure those series that you mentioned didn't cover so much. Absolutely not. Yeah. They were not written for teenagers, at all. They were written for adults, but teenagers gobbled them up. So, in the 1960s, a book came out called The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. 
And it was sort of considered to be the first official YA novel because it was written for teenagers from the perspective of a teenager because it was written by a 15-year-old girl um, and released when she was 18. Mm. Um, and it didn't have that sort of... I mean, with this, these other books, you can tell it's written by an adult who sort of remembers what being a kid is like or is trying to remember what being a kid is like and putting that sort of situation into play. This was written for teenagers in the current time with their current, with like an accurate perspective of what being a teenager is like. And then from there, it just kind of exploded. Um, that was 1967. And from there, we got all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, we also had Babysitter's Club sort of continuing that kind of wholesome young adult series. But come the, the late 80s, early 90s, that's when we got Fear Street. That's when we got Goosebumps. That's when we got Animorphs and scary stories to tell in the dark. So... Yeah, that's kind of, that was my thing. Yeah, cool. No, I like it. Give people a little bit of background. Yeah, I think um, the, one of the things that R.L. Stein says about his own writing is that he never intended to have any kind of morality about the stories, that they were just meant to be fun. And he never tried to read anything more into it than it was just to get kids reading and having fun and enjoying reading. And that's something that I really admire about the Goosebumps series is that not only was that his intent, but that was the result. Well, he was originally a comedy writer. Yeah, he does say that they're meant to be funny and they are funny. They are. There's a sponge under a sink, guys. It's meant to be funny. There's lawn gnomes attacking the neighborhood. Yeah. It wasn't meant to take this as like a serious horror story. But yeah. Did you know that he wrote uh, and co-produced Eureka's Castle? No, I didn't know that. I yeah. didn't. I, oh, that's weird. I read. I must have skimmed that bit. No. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> um, I do know that he gets challenged quite a lot for his type of writing and that he he's had to, to sort of defend himself because firstly we've got obviously the kind of um I'd call it the Mary Whitehouse brigade but I don't know what you'd call it over there but the people ban ban these books basically because of their promotion of occult ideas oh, and, yeah um and so there's been quite a few cases where school libraries and public libraries and parents basically have said we need to ban these books children shouldn't be reading them and it's just shockingly in- i don't remember annoying. that happening i don't remember that happening with goosebumps over here did that happen over here with goosebumps yep, yep. Really? many 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 times yeah i know that they they wanted to ban harry potter because it very specifically is witches yeah well, and witchcraft. funny you should say harry potter you just have to bring it up but apparently um Goosebumps is the second best-selling series of books, only beaten by Harry Potter. Yeah. So there's, I think I read it was like up to like 35 billion copies. In yeah. Some, or something. Or it's mental. Um, I think if you think about everyone in our generation, because we we are 90s kids. Oh yes. So, but we're technically referred to as millennials. We are actually millennials because yes, we, we lived are. through the millennium. We were like, yeah. So, but we're 90s kids. And I think that every single person I know would have at least five to 10, like, Goosebumps books. Oh, yeah. I collected Goosebumps books the way that kids today uh, collect Pokemon cards. Like, yeah. Yeah. My collection was impressive. Now, now it's Discworld. 
down to my Discord collection that I collect. <laughs> well, yeah, that's cards. great. That's that's exactly what Goosebumps is meant to do. So you go, it's like a gateway drug into uh, like higher literature, if you will. Um, I was going to mention like there's a critic that um, apparently called it sub literature. Mm-hmm. but he's completely quoted out of context i don't know what the rest of his review says because he could have just uh, said this one thing and then you know been but as long as kids read who the hell yeah. cares but he did he <clears throat> did describe goosebumps as sub literature and i pose a question to you melanie does it matter if the quality of the books are high for children or is it what important is the fact that they're reading so when I started reading Goosebumps, um, and like I said, I, I went in hard and I was just like, oh, yes. And I just gobbled up like 15 books. Um, I loved them because you could read them in a very short amount of time. And they were very, very easy. And it's not like I needed an easy read. I was reading Edgar Allan Poe when I was like, you know, six, seven. Mm-hmm. So I didn't need easy reads. I just really appreciated it. And I remember my dad getting really mad. I was like, but Goosebumps is such shit. It's just poorly written it's it's just really dumb and i remember turning my dad and my dad they're like popcorn books it's it's like you know a bad movie that you just love watching it's it's not meant to be great literature but it's super fun and i have a lot of friends who are reading that wouldn't be reading right now because Mm -hmm. of it so i get the argument that you know if kids are going to be reading it should be it should be good quality but if it gets people into the habit of reading kids into the habit of reading and they genuinely like it and they have the good brain for it, they will. Yeah. Gateway drug. They'll move on to bigger and better things. Like with me, I started with goosebumps and then I was into Christopher Pike, which is miles above goosebumps. And some people still say that it's not high quality, but fuck you. Christopher Pike is awesome. Well, I'm going to do my, my review of goosebumps. Do it. (laughs) Um, as, a literature form so people argue that in order for a literature to have some kind of value it should have a morality or it should have some kind of lesson or it should have some kind of uniqueness or beauty about it that sets it apart from low low culture which is what people might consider goosebumps i think that that's already a very um elitist idea of literature however if you want to argue that i pose to you does Goosebumps not actually accidentally install very good moral values in children? Because in Goosebumps, the trope, the thing that happens consistently is something happens to a kid, they run to the adults, the adults don't believe them, and they have to sort it out for themselves. Okay. And that pretty much is every single episode, sorry, every single issue, every single storyline. So what this is teaching the people reading it is not to rely on other people to solve their problems anymore, that Mm. they need to problem solve for themselves. Also, often the problem doesn't get solved till they group up with other people until finally they have a group of loyal companions that can help. So it also teaches loyalty and companionship, friendship and working with other people, teamwork. Now, throwing in the supernatural element, this belief in magic is really important to people when they're developing a sense of empathy. So having supernatural elements like 
you know, sponges that can come to life and <laughs> dummies and all such nonsense, vampires and werewolves. These help bring out the ability to learn how the world works, learns about consequences, cause and effect, all in a safe and structured way that they don't feel intimidated by because it's, impo- you know, it's in, sort of imbibed with the supernatural element. Um, it also teaches children that not all adults can be trusted because in often, yeah. in, often in stories there are adults that are baddies. So they are the monsters, they are the evil ones and not even their parents believe them that they are the baddies. So they have to try to work something out. Now it does use tropes like if he's bold and speaks like this, he must be a bad guy. But they do yeah. twist things as well and say, oh, he was the good person all along. But it's teaching kids how to learn how to make those judgments. Who can I trust? Who can't I trust? So I say to you people who think that Goosebumps are low literature, that it's teaching children to think for themselves. It's um, teaching them cause and effect. It's helping them keep a a belief in the um, belief in magic, which is important for children. And it also teaches them about stranger danger. Rest my case. Fair enough. I do think you're giving it a little, little bit too much credit. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> so Maybe. I hadn't, I hadn't read these books in a really long time, right? Yeah. I am 34 years old now, and I think the last time I actually read a uh, Goosebumps book was about 20 years ago. Yeah. So <laughs> I got a book on tape. Of one of his books and listen to it. Oh my god. It's so bad. I'm, I have not actually sat down and read one. I watched five or six episodes of the TV show instead. Yeah, which I think may have been a little bit better than the books. The books are so bad. It's so bad. Oh my god. You know, but for what it was, it was, it was super fun. And I understand why my dad, who would pick up a book... Read like two or three pages. Go, oh Jesus Christ, what is this? And and then just kind of go, please don't ever read these books again. I understand why he did that. Yeah, and that guy's a millionaire. He's he makes so much money. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I read or listened to the Scarecrow's Walk at Midnight or the Scarecrow Walks at Midnight. Okay. And, you know, these kids didn't really work together so the whole principle is this this sis this girl and her little brother are going out to go visit her grandparents out in the middle of a giant cornfield or something um and they spend their their this is an annual thing they go and visit her uh, their parent their grandparents and there's a farmhand who lives there who's kind of slow and kind of creepy but super friendly they love him but uh he it was so weird. He would just be like, you look really nice today. This is really fucking creepy. Unnecessarily creepy. So as an adult, I'm reading this like, oh, I'd be so distraught right now. But she was just like, oh, thank you so much. You're just the nicest man ever. Really, it was just odd. It was so odd to listen to. And I, you know, read by proxy. But he had a son. They never explained how that happened. The the farmhand had a son they don't really explain how that happened and he's kind of a jerk these kids don't really work together at any point they just sort of pick on each other eventually they decide they want to get their revenge on this guy because 
these scarecrows are walking at midnight and they're just being creepy. So they think that this this boy is picking on them and trying to scare them. So their big idea for revenge is to dress up like a scarecrow, dress up the younger brother as a scarecrow to frighten him. Um, long, long story short, basically the farmhand has like an occult book that he's been reading and he's the one that made the scarecrows walk um, and uses it as a way to keep the grandparents giving him what he wants, like making food that he likes. He's not a malicious person. He's just slow and doing it for like, basic familial comfort yeah well that's something else that R.L. Stein says is he never makes it really like evil like there's never any real evil content um intent it's always like a little bit like oh either you don't know the motivations of the baddies yeah or it's something really benign yeah yeah he just he just didn't like being treated like a joke which I don't think in the real world, putting the context of this situation into a real world perspective, they probably were very nice to him all the time anyway, but he knew he was slow. And so he didn't like them thinking he was slow. So he scared them with scarecrows that he animated. But when they jump, when the little boy jumps out, dressed up like a scarecrow, the, the, the farmhand loses his mind and just starts like summoning all the scarecrows and getting all crazy it was really bizarre and it was it was just not a good book no i know exactly what you're talking about and i tried to, i my <laughs> review of goosebumps was a little bit tongue-in-cheek that was really trying to pull the positive out oh i know <laughs> um i am very much aware mm. that this is tr- these are trash stories yeah. with 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 protagonists that don't make any sense like i was just watching okay so i, I, I mentioned earlier that slappy is like my least favorite character but it's the most popular character in the series i hate slappy because he's not scary he's just annoying i don't find him scary i just find him annoying but that's an aside yeah Yeah, it's just a jerk slappy is uh by the way for those of you don't know slappy is a marionette uh dummy for for, yeah sorry ventriloquist dummy why did i say marionette it's, Those are the ones on strings. Yeah, they're on strings. He's a ventriloquist dummy that comes to life and just basically is evil for no reason. And in the episode that I was watching, he, <laughs> all he's doing is chasing them. There's no mm-hmm. peril, as in he doesn't have a weapon like Chucky. <laughs> no. There's nothing that the guy can do. He's made out of porcelain. Doesn't he fuck up his the, the little girl's sister's painting or something yeah. to get her in trouble or something? Yeah. He, he, he fucks up his the, the, the painting. He like tries to hit the dad with a guitar, which I feel like if the dummy had just hit the guy with the guitar, everyone in the family would have then believed her that the dummy was alive because they would have immediately woken up and been like, oh shit, there's a dummy hitting me with a guitar. So she yeah, should have yeah. just let the dummy hit him with a guitar. But there's no, first of all, there's no motivation. And second of all, there's no... There is no peril. It's a freaking little doll thing. And they're just like screaming and running around the house. And I'm like, it doesn't have any superpowers other than it's alive. But didn't her other dummy come to life? And yeah. Like, <laughs> see them. And he's like, whoa, it's good to be back in the family. Oh. And you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. But yeah, it's awful. It's awful. It's absolutely awful. And that's why Slappy sucks. But where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. Um, there is no real rhyme or reason to a lot of the stories. It is literally just, like you said, popcorn. It is to be consumed quickly and for you to enjoy it while it's happening. And especially the plays, you, you, the the adventures that you're interacting with. What did you call it? The sort of as you go ones. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, the um, Choose Your Own Adventure. Choose Your Own Adventures. Those are brilliant. Um, those were great. Really fun. So anyone that hasn't read those, they're basically you get to the end of a chapter and you get three choices, sometimes two, and then it tells you what page to go to and you're dictating the order, or, you know, like what happens next in the story and there's various ways to get to the endings. How many tabs would you keep when you were playing that game, uh, reading those books? I mean... I can't. All I know is that I would definitely be doing that and 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 doing it over and over and over and until I had every scenario definitely. Mm-hmm. So you, what a clever thing to do! So people would sit and read the book more, take take more time to read the book because they're reading it over and over and over again. And I think that's why those stories probably stick in your head a little bit more because you read yeah. them more frequently. Um, I just think it was great because it. I know that I read absolutely tons of them. I couldn't tell you how many I read and how many I watched in the TV show um, mm-hmm. and how many crossover, you know, both. Uh, I just know that I read lots of the books. I owned loads of the books. We swapped loads of the books with other people. I don't know what happened to all of the copies of my books. I know that they were very, very worn and they were very, very read. I know yeah. I checked them out of libraries. I know that I've had them in my backpack and I know that I religiously watched the TV show Yeah, that was made. Um, so pretty much... And contemporarily to the books being produced, there was a television show being produced. There was some, I'm not going to go into it, but there's like some uh, legal stuff that happened between Scholastic, who were the publishers, and um, I think I, I can't remember what the name of the production firm that were making the TV show was, but there was some sort of tension between the two that had to be settled mm. eventually. But they were running congruently and they pretty much as soon as a book was made would probably get working on a script for an episode. Yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Um, and it was fantastic. And that was the song you heard on the intro. And it was, you know, the reference that we keep going like, do, 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 do. It's the theme song and it's ingrained in our child's memory. Yeah, yeah, into our very being. And you know what's funny? I didn't even like the show. Because at the time we had, uh, uh, not scary stories. Um, Are you afraid of the dark? Are you afraid of the dark? Yeah, which was so superior. Way better. That show was was genuinely kind of frightening. I loved that show. So to me, Goosebumps was sort of like a poor man's version of that. I was still between. I was still in that hinderland between being. Um, quite content with being a child and wanting to grow up. So my love for Goosebumps was because my I was still quite a child. You know, I think I'm about 10, 10 years old mm-hmm. at the time. But then a 10-year-old also desperately wants to be grown up. And so Are You Afraid of the Dark seemed like the grown-up version yeah. of Goosebumps. So just both, both children inside your little brain there are going to go after both. But the child that can't wait to be a teenager is watching Are You Afraid of the Dark? And the child that loves being a kid is watching Goosebumps. And I feel like there's no reason to distinguish between those two emotions that I was I was actively watching both with different getting different things out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for me, I'd already watched, like, so much Tales from the Crypt. I'd been watching yeah. Tales from the Crypt since I was a baby. So to me, Goosebumps was like Barney. You know, the Goosebumps show yeah. was like Barney comparatively. Um, so so for me, Are You Afraid of the Dark was what Goosebumps was for you. Because I already had this like way more adult kind of horrifying context <laughs> like to comparison for it. I think the closest <clears throat> thing I probably had to horror 
as a child was a show called Trapdoor, which I don't think that is a thing over there. And um, the people over here will be like going Trapdoor because it's this terrible. No, I'm no, it's not terrible. It's absolutely freaking beautiful, but it's it's absolutely wonderful. I should say nothing terrible about it. That was the wrong word. I will edit it out. Um, (laughs) It's a play show. And I think it was made in the seventies. And um, I think I've got one of the characters. I do. So this is this is the main character from Trapdoor. Huh. And I can't remember his name right now. Anyway, he plays like he's like a servant to a evil overlord that you never see. And they all live below a trapdoor and they're all monsters. So nice. that's probably the closest thing that I had to horror, really. I'm sure my mom will probably remind me of other things, but it's the only one that really sticks out in my brain. So Goosebumps was definitely on the right path to going to Are You Afraid of the Dark, which later became, if you think about, okay, so Are You Afraid of the Dark was probably aimed at just a little bit older, from your 13 to 17 range. So what comes after that is Buffy. Yeah, yeah. Because all of them have that sort of tongue-in-cheek kind of... uh... You know, things are bad, but everything's going to definitely have a happy ending kind of uh, kind of place. Another side note about Goosebumps, just to take it back for a quick second while Mm -hmm. it's still in my head. One thing that I do remember really liking about it is that you didn't have you didn't have that trope of you made it up. Yeah, the the kids imagined that this guy was an evil person. Um, and it was just all in their heads and they were just judging him too harshly. No, 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 it was an evil person. And, and you know, or no, 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 that genuinely is like monster blood monster thing. And it's it's going to devour shit. So I liked that. I thought that was really cool because it didn't. One thing to, to add to your positive uh, review of it was that it was just like it gave us the ability to believe that this awful thing was happening without expecting to be told that we were just full of shit the whole time. Except by certain adults within the story, mm-hmm. you as the you as the reader knew that 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 those things were real, and by the end of the book, those things were still real. Yeah. So you got to go on the go with the. the it's always in the perspective of the child. And the that kids were crazy. right all along. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. never patronizing to children either. It doesn't That's talk down to them. That's very true. Although as an adult, reading slash listening to it, it's just like. A whole lot of like totally. Oh my god, you know, just kind of. But Melanie, that is how we talked. I know, but it was really (laughs) weird to hear, and I didn't like it. (laughs) There was a film that came out last year called Eighth Grade. I don't know if you got a chance to see it. No. And it actually had eighth grade age actors in it and dialogue, which the author, sorry, (laughs) the writer of the screenplay. Um, deliberately did in the sort of language and vernacular of eighth graders and it is a cringe fest from beginning to end because it is how we acted and is how we were. the Ooh. only difference is that it's now it's in the modern era so there's this you know thing about social media social media element yeah um it's a beautiful film people go out and and definitely watch it seek it out but that thing where you're actually hearing kids talk the way kids actually talk and they don't talk like Joss Whedon's characters. Yeah. You know, we all wanted it, to imagine that we were as clever and funny as Joss Whedon wanted us to be. Yeah, no, we weren't. We said a lot of likes and we said a lot of whatevers and we said a lot of uh, 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 and we Mom. got a point across. 
<laughs> we certainly weren't using words like vernacular and se- sequential. <laughs> we were learning them for the vocab test on Thursday. I used quite a few multisyllabic words as a teenager. Hey, that's that's fine. But we certainly weren't doing it when we were just like hanging out. No, not not commonly, not often. But another okay, uh, uh, another series that does a, the same kind of thing is uh, the Percy Jackson series. Did you ever read that? No, I've not read it, but I did read um, um, Lemony Snicket. Oh, Lemony Snicket, yes. That's yeah, brilliant. But one thing that's really cool about the Percy Jackson series, I've only read like the first three, three or four books, um, is that so the main main character is dyslexic, and the whole reason that um, he's dyslexic is because that demigods are kind of hardwired to read Greek. So translating that into American English makes them dyslexic. Yeah, back to front and upside down kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, and the whole book is written so, it feels so authentically from the perspective of an 11-year-old with dyslexia. And it was really, really cool because I have mild dyslexia. So I was reading it and going, oh my God, I understood that sentence. And I probably wouldn't have understood that sentence if anyone else had written it. Um, because I think the author himself is dyslexic and it was just, it was, it's a really good series. Sorry to throw, throw that in there, but I, I love things that really make you feel like you are in the headspace or, or the perspective of another character in a very genuine way. And uh, the Percy Jackson series really did that so good. Yeah. I think that there's quite been, yeah. Children's Light Now is in, is a legitimate, form of of literature now I think and people are giving it the credit that it deserves I think it took Harry Potter to do that because they're not Mm -hmm. the best quality and real really but what what it does for young adults and for young readers is just so much so much good and and encouragement and motivation to read it's just nothing but good things um like i briefly mentioned lemony snick it's really good those are popcorn books you can sit and read a book in one sitting oh they're so depressing it's awesome yeah i'm glad you ended that with awesome awesome. yeah yeah they're great because it's kind of the flip side of fairy tales and then also literally the whole time you're reading it's it's telling you you really shouldn't read this book Yeah, pretty much, yeah. If you think this is going to get better, you've not been paying attention. You, you should really close this book. This book yeah. is going to do nothing but hurt you, and it's just going to it's just gonna keep hurting you, and we're not going to stop hurting you. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's in a way that is so easily laughed off, if in a way, because it's, it's done with such humor and with such positivity, because the kids never lose their... Their hope. Their, their hope and their their positivity. I don't know. Lemony stick is good. And also, I people keep recommending me to me How to Train Your Dragon. The novel. Read those yet? Yeah. No. Those yet. I've had adults tell me uh, that they are quality enough for you to not be embarrassed to sit and read them. Have you read the Inkheart series? No, no. Oh, I, I don't even know what that series. is. Oh my god! I believe the author is German. Um, and I won't get into it too much because we're doing goosebumps right now, but <laughs> it's turned into a bit of a child lit recommendation yeah, yeah. podcast, <laughs> which is kind of what I was sort of expecting us to just kind of go down a, a YA kind of, uh, wormhole rabbit hole. Um, but Inkheart was so, it's so gorgeous. And if you love stories and having stories either read to you, um, you love 
the way that stories are created and formed and brought to life. <clears throat> Man, that series is so beautiful. It's like it's three books and it's it's stunning. The whole time I was reading them, my jaw was just like dropped. I'm like, oh, this is this is what it's like to love a book. This book it, it expresses the feeling of loving a story while telling you a really incredible story. Fucking genius. I can't wait till I have the time to read fiction again. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> it's okay. Before we finish, I just want to throw out a few things about Goosebumps. Get us back on the Goosebumps trial trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Track. Track, that's it. Something I wanted to mention is, just very, very briefly, Goosebumps was so successful that it spawned loads and loads of adaptations. And I think that people will be familiar with the film that had been recently come out with Jack Black. And not many people will realize that was 20 years in the making. So it took them 20 years to get that film to screen. Uh, In 1996, it was agreed that they were going to make a film but over the 10 years that they had the rights to make the film, they never found a script good enough. Okay. So in 2006, the rights to make a film was sold on uh, to another company who then found a script about four years later, and then it was adapted again and again and again. And then in 2014, it was filmed with Jack Black and everything like that. So it took 20 years from initially going to R.L. Stein, hey, can we make it into a movie, to actually be made into a movie. And R.L. Stein really likes the book, uh, sorry, really likes the film adaptation. The movie's actually really fun. Yeah, I know the movie is disgustingly good because it made me love Jack Black again because I felt like... Yeah, well, I love that he was this surly, curmudgeon character, mm-hmm. but he also did the voice of Slappy. He did. <laughs> but he was perfect. It was perfect. It was, yeah, no, it was so good. so good. And that Slappy was solid. I think any other kind of adaptation of Slappy is really dumb, but I thought that Slappy was great because, again, yeah. he's not like... Slappy, to me, was never so much like the spirit of somebody who wanted to do something malicious. He was more like a, like a chaos imp. Yeah, I agree. Bringing out chaos. It didn't matter what form, how extreme or what have you. It was just, he was just all about the chaos. And, and I thought he was really kind of spooky movie. I thought it was fucking great. And it had all of the, all the stories, you know, so many stories thrown in there. And as somebody who was was raised on Goosebumps, like, Oh, I remember that one. Oh yeah, you did that one. It yes. is a nostalgia fest. It is a nostalgia fest, and it is good. It does it in a, I I enjoyed it. It's don't read. Don't think that you're gonna come out with your new favorite movie. Just to have. No. Just be assured that you're gonna have an hour and twenty minutes where you're enjoying yourself yeah. watching a film. Um. It, but on top of the adaptation, the film adaptation, there's also been like you mentioned before, audiobooks. But it's also made, been made into countless games. So we've got video games and board games. There's loads and loads of merchandise, including clothing and candy and anything you can possibly think of that can have the Goosebumps logo on it it had it the tv show had slime going down the front of it so obviously they had their own brand of slime things like that but it also had comics that were uh coming out until pretty recently yeah yeah um there's been plays and musicals based on Goosebumps and there's also there was also a Disney ride based on Goosebumps yeah yeah Okay, I need to I need to see a Goosebumps musical. 
I'm just saying. Right? I need that in my life. It was in the wiki, and I wonder if it was just some, like, Amdram production somewhere in, like, bumfuck nowhere, but it's got put on the Wikipedia page. I would love to see a Goosebumps musical. I need it. I need it so bad. That sounds awesome. Yes. <laughs> so what was what was the first, was, was Goosebumps the first, like, young adult kind of, like, darker-themed book that you read? I think, ooh, I genuinely can't remember the timeline of things. I think it, if it wasn't the first, it was amongst the first. I definitely read Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark quite early on as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know what came first, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. Both were seeing... worn. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I used to read scary stories Tell in the dark to my sister and her friends whenever we had slumber parties. It was great. I just, I love it so much. My favorite to read to them was Mitai Dottie Walker. Okay. With the head that comes down the chimney and the, because they hear in the distance, Mitai Dottie Walker. <laughs> and then the dog responds with, Riki Tiki Kali Wally Dingo Dingo. And the person's like, why is my fucking dog singing? Where's this voice coming from? Don't go too much into it, though, because you'll be ruining it, because we definitely have scary stories to tell in the dark okay, okay, as sorry. a topic. But yeah. I was, it was funny, because as I was doing this, I, of course, I'm going on my Christopher Pike run, because if you haven't read Christopher Pike, he's so much fun. And what I liked about Christopher Pike is he covered a lot more adult elements. Like, there was this one story, um, oh, was it The Witch, I think, um, about a girl who killed herself because the person that she loved uh you know went with somebody else and the person that the person that she loved went with ended up going to get an abortion and as they're coming wow, back really adult themes really adult themes and as they're coming back from getting an abortion back into their town they find that everyone's missing except for her her boyfriend the girl who had an abortion her boyfriend and like four or five other teenagers all of which had been sort of um uh cruel to this girl who had killed herself and they find themselves in these situations where they have to like walk across a tightrope over a massive field covered in broken glass and syringes and knives or, or something like that and it turns out that this girl who had killed herself had written these elaborate stories these short stories about how she would kill these teenagers who had wronged her in her life oh my god and it was an amazing book it was actually so good um, or Scavenger Hunt, which is one of my favorites of his books, which is basically these teenagers go on a scavenger hunt and shit gets really weird. Apparently there's like dinosaur lizard people, but it's really awesome. And I love that book so much. I still have a copy of it. I'm looking at it right now. I have tried three times to write that into a screenplay. That's how obsessed with that book I am. It, it sounds mental. It's completely mental, but it's also really spooky, and the characters are so good. Like, they're they're relatable. You hate them when you hate them. You love them. There's a character you absolutely fall in love with, and he dies like any proper, good, proper horror story, I think, should do. That was that was another one. I woke up woke my dad up in the middle of the night because I was sobbing, and he's like, why are you crying? Well, my favorite character died, and he goes, okay, good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think he would probably be more supportive of your like for pike than for stein definitely definitely yeah. but christopher pike also wrote the first ever vampire story that i really loved okay and it was the last vampire now apparently it's a huge series and it's like six or seven books of them i only read the first one but as a teenager i was 
madly in love with it because it wasn't about being sexy and seducing people. This girl was a vampire. She did seduce people, but it, that wasn't like the driving force. She was mainly just a badass trying not to, just trying to survive. And it wasn't about how she yearns for human blood. It was just like, no, this is just something I have to do. And her origin story was just, it was genius. It was really, really so fucking, so fucking good. Christopher Pike, if you're into young adult stuff, he's my favorite, hands down. All right. All right, all right, all right. And I also found myself Googling, trying to find out the name of this one, like, murder mystery, teenage murder mystery book. It was, like, the first teenage murder mystery book I'd ever read. And I couldn't remember the name of it, and I was going crazy. And apparently it's Class Trip by B.B. Faze Rice. Mm. where these teenagers go to uh, an island, they get stranded on an island on like a field trip or something. But it was the first time I'd ever seen cyanide used as a way to kill someone. Also, flare gun. Fun. Good time. <laughs> well, R.L. Stein, him, he wanted to keep the keep it light. So. Yeah, he kept the body count low. Yeah, he uh, didn't kill anyone ever. No one died. Yeah. Dogs always come back at the end of the episode when they've been lost. Yeah. People only ever get hurt, but they don't get like, hospital level hurt um yeah oh there was one it was um rl stein's least favorite books goosebumps book there was one that he really hated and then i read the blurb of it and i i get why you hate it it was really that's a really dumb dumb book shit well while you're looking i will read a list of actors who were in the tv show that have gone on to be successful yes do that Okay, so Ryan Gosling was in an episode of Goosebumps, as was Hayden Christensen. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Which one was Ryan Gosling in? Oh, I didn't write that bit down. I just wrote Damn. that he was in it. Sorry. It was just a list of people that were in... The... Yeah, sorry. Um, Colin Mockery apparently shows up in one. No way. So to the UK listeners, Colin Mockery is in um, the American version of um, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Um, Yanni Gelman, who plays Fez in that 70s show, he was in it. Um, someone that we've mentioned before, a film that we've mentioned before, which is absolutely fantastic, a film called Ginger Snaps. The, head, the lead actress in Ginger Snaps, Catherine Isabel, she's in the episode It Came From Beneath the Sink, which is the my favourite one, which is about the sponge with teeth. Yeah. So she's in that. And I was absolutely convinced that the... Okay, so if anyone's watching Picard right now, the last episode, people were kind of going mad about the guy that's playing his doctor. Have we met him before? Have we ever heard of him before? And things like that. Well, he's played by an actor called David pa- David Paymer, who is a character actor that appears in absolutely tons of things. I mean, if he was around the studio, I think they stuck him in everything and (laughs) I'm convinced that while I was watching one of the episodes in preparation for this um recording that he was just a random janitor (laughs) absolutely convinced that he was in it and it's gonna become like a random joke I think if whether this guy is in something because if you look at his IMDb He's literally just in everything. And there's loads of Nickelodeon stuff. So it's absolutely possible that he's the guy that I thought he was. What was his name? Um, it's uh, David Paymer. Wants to see his face. You'll be like, oh, that guy. 
He's literally. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's literally everything. He'll be like, a, like, like a janitor or a teacher or a, a like truck a driver. He's just like everything. He's just a. I don't know. He does have that classic janitor look, doesn't he? No offense, David. No, yeah, no. It's just you know, that's what you do. In his latter years, he does make a very good doctor to Doctor to 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 Captain Picard. So there we go. <laughs> oh, but I found the book. So apparently, R.L. Stein's least favorite book <laughs> is called *The Barking Ghost*. Uh, okay. And the blurb is as such: "It's a doggone nightmare." Scared of his own shadow, that's what everyone says about Cooper Holmes. But when the Holmeses move into a new house deep in the woods, scary things really do start happening. Problem is, no one believes a scaredy cat like Cooper. But when no one else, he- but then no one else heard the bone-chilling barking late at night, or ran into the two evil-looking dogs who disappeared into thin air. Apparently, in the end, he gets turned into a dog. Or something. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Oh, so bad. bad. I don't mind a bit of bad. I don't know. As long as people are reading, I don't even care. I don't even care if adults are reading them, as long as they're reading. Yeah, fair enough. So that's my take. My take is stop being a snob. If you're reading, you're reading. Yeah. Also, don't be a snob about whether or not it's in a digital form or physical form, because you're being ableist. Because people with dyslexia actually find it easier to read off screens sometimes. So you all better shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, let them read, man. Don't don't give anybody shit. I personally love a paper copy, but I'm also I like holding a book. But I am also a, I'm I'm an asshole with books. Don't ever lend me a book. Like I'm I'm the person that folds the pages. I'm the person that turns the front cover completely around. Yeah, he would make all the pages. scream. Yeah. He yeah, asked to put a piece of toast in his book today, and he hasn't stopped thinking about it. <laughs> That is a true story. That's awesome. <laughs> he was reading and I gave him some toast and he used it as a bookmark accidentally. And he's just That's been like, amazing. why did I do that? Why did I do that? <laughs> I'll take a picture of some of my books and you guys will scream. The The spines are all fucked up because I just, that's all I do. So I just curl the book around as I'm just like Uh-oh. shoving it at my face. <laughs> it sort of depends on my, on the book, I think whether or not that's acceptable but that is a conversation for a whole other day what is acceptable to do to a book yeah but yeah but also i mean like don't don't think that young adult novels are are crap just because their intended audience is younger there are some really really incredible books out there like i said ink heart fable haven is a really fun series it's a fantasy series which i would put up in the top three with harry potter it's really, really good. Is it amazingly written? Is it is it eloquently penned? No, but the story is so, so full and and just fantastic. So yeah, don't don't worry about anyone judging you reading young adult books. They're fucking fun. Yeah. And it's good for your brain to have some fun every once in a while. Not just fun, but books that are aimed at people that feel isolated or in any way victimized by bullies and things like that there's books out there for them there's books about people that hurt themselves you know self-harm there's books about people that are dealing with suicidal thoughts and dealing with bullying and dealing with eating disorders these are really important themes that are essential to communicate to young adults Mm -hmm. and in a really palatable and relatable way and it's really good to do that through novels all the books that i think that i remember the most 
of reading in my life have been young adult books that have helped me through particular phases of my life um there was one book called speak that was really important to me that had a sequel called catalyst and it's really bugging me that i can't remember the name of the author but really easy to 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 google if you just put young adult uh yeah. speak uh, i'll probably put one of my little floating voice edits in, in <laughs> myself a space to do it go ahead future danielle Hi there, past Danielle's future Danielle here, in the present to tell you, in the future, that the author was Laurie Hulse Anderson, and she's great. And now, back to past Danielle, who is your present Danielle? Thanks, future Danielle. So... Oh my god, that's awesome! <laughs> Um, anyway, there's loads of books that I don't own anymore because either I loan them to someone because they meant so much to me and I felt that they helped me or just along the way that they've been given to charity or or, or, or whatever. Yeah, no, young adult um, fiction, young adult novels, even, you know, going to the children's section sometimes can be fun. It's so... It's literally my first stop anytime I go to a bookstore. Yeah, it's just fucking just... If you're reading, you're reading and just have fun. They don't yeah. all have to be Dune. <laughs> exactly. I don't know why I said Dune. It was the thickest book, most complicated thing to read that I could think of at the moment without saying like the Iliad, which is something people say that they've read that they haven't. No, no, no. no. You, you read portions of it. You don't read the whole thing. No. No. And honestly, I've never read nor seen Dune. I mean, that's okay. That's okay. Because I only saw it recently, as in, like, within the last five years. And it's awful. And even Lynch hates it. So, <laughs> you know. Um, I've bought all the books except the first one. So I've managed to track down all the books in charity shops and secondhand shops, except for the bloody first one. So there's a whole yes, shop behind me of Dune. And, like, ch- like what's it called? Like, the Son of Dune or whatever. Um, Heretics of Dune. <laughs> chapter house of dune <laughs> children of dune yeah i've got all of them except for the bloody first one that's me with sandman i have like almost all the sandman except for the first like two yeah gotta mm-hmm. get them first before you can start reading them <laughs> yeah i'd read them once many many years ago but I'm, i want the whole collection which ones are the ones you're talking about the sandman uh, ones. sandman yeah or uh what was the closet um Narnia Chronicles of Narnia right I've yeah got, the line that was in the wardrobe and everything I have read them definitely I've got most of them and I've read the first two but I so the I line of the in the wardrobe and Caspian uh, it's Caspian yeah yeah and the next one's and the Dory, that book. Voyage of the Dawn Treader yeah <clears throat> no I've okay. read Voyage of the Dawn Treader and then I'm missing one and I think there's like one or two after that so I haven't been able to finish it because I'm missing like the fourth book I think there's only four, but I might be wrong. No, sure. I think there's like five. Huh. Whatever. Just... There's one that I'm missing, and because I've been missing that for the last 15, 20 years, I haven't been able to finish the series. You can tell I care a lot about it. Yeah. I like it. Just never Girl, finished. shit going on, Melanie. <laughs> yeah. Right. We should wrap this up, do you think? Yes, absolutely. Sorry, it wasn't fully goosebumps, but I feel like we we did it some uh, did it some passionate justice. And uh, also cover just young ad- young adult fiction in general, which, I, I which is kind of what I was going for. Yeah, I think it was like 70% goosebumps. So <clears throat> yeah, 65, 70%. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, Danielle. So uh, I guess uh, I'll do the social medias, right? Okay. So if you liked that, if you have any, um, if you want to just like talk about Goosebumps, tell me what your favorite Goosebumps book was. Tell me why you hate Goosebumps, love Goosebumps. You agree with us. You disagree with us. All of the above. If you have any subjects that you want to bring to the table for us to discuss in future episodes. Also, please, if you want to hear me really drunk uh, talking to my sister about random crap, let me know. I will post those, but only if I get your approval. Hit us up at our uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Zombie Fishbowl or Zombie Fishbowl Podcast. We are easy enough to find. You can also hit us up at our email, zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com. Please leave us reviews, stars, likes, spread the word. Uh, we want to we wanna get this thing going. So that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, y- yes. Yes. So give me a topic. Hold on. Two weeks from now. Yes. For two weeks from now, let's do it. Random topic picker, random topic picker. You're a random topic picker and you're gonna pick a topic. Never gets old. Uh, Native American folklore. Ooh. Ooh. That should be fun. And there you go. Mmm. Mmm. I'm excited. I'm gonna go spooky with it. I... I'm asking you because I'm not entirely sure because I'm not over there at the moment. Is it polite to say Native American or do they prefer First Nation? I'm or are really we not sure. Not sure. Hold on, let me check. What's the? That will be part of what we will look into and find out for ourselves whether or not my referring to it as Native American is actually polite and right. So yes, yeah, so I've also heard Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Um, first americans so you know there's 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 quite a few and i will that will be part of i think what we address in the episode yeah yeah because i think it's important that we use the right terminologies i have a feeling that different people probably think different things yeah i think so as well because i believe that some actually do refer to themselves as indians as well so mm-hmm. um we will endeavor to try try to put together a little bit of a introduction to Native Americans in general or whatever term is polite and acceptable. Because we're not going at this we're not coming at this from a place of uh of hate. This is all about admiration and love. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm gonna I am I'm gonna say that obviously that saying it so broadly encapsulates many, many ethnicities and many, many cultures. Yeah. And in that might just be a little bit um, rude to somebody. So for that, we do apologize. But it is out of sheer um, love that we want to talk about folklore that comes from your neck of the woods. Because, boy, yeah. you guys have some beautiful stories. And I want to tell them I know quite a few Chumash ones because of living in the area with Melanie. That was Chumash land. Yeah. So that's something that um i'm looking forward to plus one of my um professors i don't think he's a professor one of my lecturers is a chumash specialist and he tells us a lot of really fun things so i can definitely do archaeology theme nice nice yay oh this is gonna be fun yeah it should be should be good and i should be able to just basically rip off some of my lecturers um (laughs) 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 um 
lecture slides, so. <laughs> so that's good. All right, right, so leave us off with a quote, Danielle. Okay, so I just wanted to leave you with an example of um, R.L. Stein's high culture, high quality writing skills. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm ready for this. I became more and more confused. My brain got so fuzzy, I even began to wonder if I'd ever actually been a boy at all. Maybe I'd really been a bee for my whole entire life, and I'd just dreamed about being a boy. Oh, oh, that's so deep. Yeah. So deep, isn't it? Yeah, Arl Stein, getting into what, what am I? Who am I? Am I a bee or am I a boy? <laughs> the cover art for that book is so silly, too. <laughs> it's one of the later books, isn't it? Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's funnier the more I think of it. <laughs> And we will, I will talk to you next week and we will talk to you collectively together as one in two weeks time. Yep. And with that, adieu. I'm Melanie. Don't panic. Ah! Oh my God. That sounds like the Vikings wearing off. (laughs) Bye everyone. Bye. Bye.